name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And this is Make Ours Marvel. We are doing episode two of our show today, where we are continuing our journey through the earliest, earliest days of the Marvel Universe. Uh, We have covered two issues of the Fantastic Four, and we're going to take a side trip before diving back into the Fantastic Four um, with Tales to Astonish 27. Yay, a new character. A new character! Not even really a character. This is just like a (laughs) random story that gets reused later, but hey. They cheated. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there are some other random short stories along the way here that are technically in continuity, but I don't know how much of those we really need. Like, I think all the Medusa appearances are technically actually part of Medusa's life. I don't know if that's true or not. Did we say who the character was, or are we keeping that a secret? Oh, Ant-Man. Right? Ant-Man. Hank Pym Ant-Man. Ant-Man. Michael Douglas Ant-Man. Right, the old guy. Yes. Before he's old. And it's your turn to do the uh, don't look at the comic synopsis so hey john what's tales to astonish number 27 about oh crap okay (laughs) um (laughs) the more you can forget the better honestly it's it's more fun looking at the comic okay so henry pym is a scientist and he gets no respect from the council of scientists um for his research he wants to research ants and they're like ants (laughs) he does it anyway um, he figures out a serum to make things shrink and another serum to make things grow again. These happen by physical contact. You have to like splash it on the person or the thing. He decides to try it on himself because um, testing science on yourself is is definitely not questionable at all. And he shrinks down Alice in Wonderland style and can't get back to the engro- and enlarging serum. Also Alice in Wonderland style. Um, he goes wandering outside trying to figure out what to do. He finds an ant pile. He encounters some ants, has some very dangerous journeys, um, saves one ant's life. The ant in turn saves his life and carries him back up to his apartment where he splashes in the enlarging serum and it's big again. The oh, end. and the council of scientists is like, okay, um, you're cool. Uh, no, he goes back to the council of scientists like, you're right. I should never be imaginative <laughs> again. I should only do what you tell me from now on and throws away all of his Ant-Man uh, stuff until... Yep. Eight issues later. Yep. You nailed it. So I am 98% positive whoever wrote Honey, I Shrunk the Kids must have read this story. It's exactly the same plot. It really is. I think that this idea of shrinking is just one of those like imagination capture things. You're right. Honey, I is the exact same plot. But Doctor Who also did Planet of Giants. No, but I don't mean plot like. He shrunk and hijinks ensue. I mean, he shrinks, and your summary was a little off. He didn't go outside on purpose. He flew outside somehow. Uh, what did it say? He stumbles out the door, and he has to spend the entire time going through his lawn, avoiding all these horrible ants. And then there's one nice ant that helps him get back right, to just his. Like the one from the Financial the Kids. Just like Auntie. Yes. Lily um, and I called him Dave. And not only that, he's a scientist that everybody thinks is nuts because he's too imaginative and he's always doing weird things. Are you saying that Rick Moranis is Henry Pym? Yes. I'm saying this story is just like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, only there's no kids. And no French class joke. French class. Ha! Ah, I get it now. (laughs) And 
Other than the last panel, which I really actually do like, and I'm going to read it really fast. It says, and so our tale is ended, except for one brief note. Never again did Henry Pym knowingly step upon an anthill, for he knew that somewhere beneath him, unknown and unrecognized, was one little insect, one small ant, to whom he owed his very life. I just thought that was kind of sweet, if not, you know, I guess a little cheesy, but that was just a cool little ending, especially if you were never going to do anything else with this character. It is super cheesy, but also pretty sweet. And yeah, um, I, I don't know that Henry Pym actually never went through his life stepping on anthills because he's kind of crazy. Um, well, and he becomes Ant-Man. And this clearly is one of those, like we've been saying all along, Marvel's doing a lot of anthology monster stuff. So this is this is Strange Tales. This is – or no, I'm sorry. Ah, Tales, Tales to Astonish. Sorry. 27 issues into Tales to Astonish. This isn't a dedicated book to any particular person. Yeah, this is, this is not even a superhero story pretended to be a monster story or the other no. way on a monster story that's kind of pretended to be a superhero story. Nope. This is straight up a monster story that later on when they're making superhero comics, like, hey, remember that one guy from mm-hmm. eight, eight months ago? We could use him. Yep. And we're going to find out later that this whole line of research for Henry was spawned out of grief following the loss of his life, which kind of helps to explain his determination in light of the science convention spurning him. Also, where is there a science convention that makes decisions about these things? (laughs) And also, I always wonder about those kind of scenes. Like, wouldn't you have at least some sort of data to show them that seems promising? Right. You know, they they always seem like they go to these things and go, hey, I'm working on this thing back at the lab. I'm going to be able to shrink people. And my wife is in social sciences. I'm sorry? And that's it. Like, there's nothing to back that up. So then, of course, they're all going to go, you're crazy. That's not possible. But if he went to the thing and said, look, here's the 99% done formula. I just shrank this chair. Look, it's a chair. Or even before that, like he's not quite there yet, but here's my hypothesis. They And if it was actually going to work eventually, then the hypothesis is probably strong. The math would, should look good. Yes. Yeah, so then you would think that these guys would be like, oh, wow, that's pretty amazing. But instead, it's like they just show up and go, hey, I'm going to be able to turn green things pink and with no backup. And then everybody <laughs> makes fun of them. Right. Anyway. Um, my wife is in the social sciences, which I know is not the same as the hard sciences. But, um, you know, I have learned a lot more about like the whole peer review process that goes on when you are trying to publish a finding that like, if you want to get published, if you want your article to appear in a reputable journal about what you have discovered in your field of learning, there are many people along the way that have to check out your writing and see if you are worth getting published. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's... They don't just all show up at a convention and yeah, say they don't whatever. show up at a convention. It's just like, I don't know. It, it's funny. Um, yeah. So he tested on himself, which every time I watch that happen, I'm like, wow, that is the worst testing yeah. science on yourself. You no don't rats do that. first, yeah. And maybe he went through several other stages of trials before experiencing, like maybe he like did it on lots of stuff. And he's like, ooh, I want to experience this for myself. But um, I don't think that actually happened because when he splashes on himself, he's really surprised at the speed of his shrinkage and how fast he shrinks. Yeah. He should have put the stuff on the floor, maybe. The floor, a rat, um, you know, the, the kid next door. that. No, I, I meant like put the reverse elixir on the floor so he could reach it oh yeah the the, the growth formula yeah put it in reach <laughs> like prep a little think about it like okay i'm gonna be two inches tall right or dead 
So this should probably go there. And this glass should be something that I could actually reach into at two inches tall. You know, I don't know. He didn't really I plan ahead. Eat me, drink me stuff up there on the table. Yeah. And a big flask that no way he could actually get into. Um, I like how ants understand sign language. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's, it's just a big adventure of what would it be like if you were tiny and ants were trying to kill you. And, you know, a lot of it, he just gets out of things because he's a human and he knows how to use a matchstick. Um, mm-hmm. And he hurls a big boulder at the matchstick. So now there's the whole, like, not only does he get small, but he is also keeping his full-size strength, apparently. But even though they don't really go into that in this short story, but that's going to be his power later. Like, he doesn't have, you know, tiny guy strength. Right. Um, even in this, he clearly is stronger than he should be. And I think the idea is that ants are also stronger than their size. Right. But that but also has a lot to – I mean, there's a lot of physics explaining all of that um, in biology and such. But they just simplify it down to, oh, when he shrinks, he still has all the strength of a grown man. Yes. And when he grows, he, he has does. a lot more strength than a regular grown man. <laughs> it doesn't really seem consistent. Well, yeah, he must, because otherwise he couldn't even stand up, probably. But I don't know. We'll get, we'll get to that when we get to Giant Man. Yeah, 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 when we get to Giant Man when we're 75. So, I don't know. I didn't have much to say about this. I did have to look up, like, again, with the powers every time. I'm like, okay, well, who did Shrinking first? So, obviously, there's Doll Man from mm-hmm. the Golden Age. And then the, the Atom came out this year, 1961, but, like, in April. Okay. So, that makes me wonder. I mean, I'm not saying because this isn't really Adam like and he's not being a superhero or anything. Like we said, this is really more of a monster tale. So maybe it has nothing to do with anything. But you never know. Maybe also they're flipping through the DC books going, hey, they got a shrinking guy. Let's do a shrinking story. So that means that once we get to the superhero era, we have at least two characters that are blatantly similar to established DC characters. Yeah. And of course, many more from there. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a whole lot on this either. Henry Pym enters this strip with very little personality beyond creativity and recklessness. Right. Because it was a short story with no intention of making him any more than that. I and mean, so I wonder what the draw was. Like, you know, eight months from now, whenever they're making superheroes and they want to increase their superhero count, what was the draw for this particular s- story? The Atom? I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe there just... There will be... Was that... Uh, maybe just, you know, he's so desperate for ideas that he looks back on anything that could possibly be superheroic and just runs with it. <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have to think of something new. There will be some really cool art done with like perspective, like size perspective and stuff. And that I imagine could be like fun to draw for the artist. And maybe that was the attraction to bring this character back. Well, I personally um, am looking forward to legit Hank Pym superhero stories because I haven't really read all that many. I'm mostly familiar with him through the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately there, um, he gets tainted unfairly in my opinion, gets tainted into like this screw up wife beating, whatever. And, and uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to just reading straight up, like when he was a superhero and legit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have read all of his pre giant man adventures at least once, most of them twice. Um, Cause I did that. Uh, Avengers show with my daughter years and years ago now. Um, but it's been a while. And a lot of it is just the cool quirkiness of being tiny in mm-hmm. a world of giant stuff. Oh, when sure. he becomes giant man, the strip, I think, 
changes in quality, whether in a gain or a loss will be up to the taste when we get there. But um, it's not the same strip after that. Okay. As far as well, I mean, you know, superheroes are all about their powers anyway. That's what kind of makes Marvel at least initially different is they're not just about their powers. They had issues and problems. So I don't know if they ever did that with Hank Pym given problems in these early stories. I guess I'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. I feel like less with him than with others. They certainly do later, but (laughs) (laughs) anyway, should we move on to number three of the fantastic four, the fantastic four, number three. Okay. I'm closing that. Uh, Let me go over to my fantastic four masterworks and comicsology here. Um, Every comic we cover in this show, and we'll tell you when they're not, but for the longest time, they're all going to be available in collections from Comixology. So if you've never read these old issues, Comixology, the digital reading platform and company, um, they sell like digital versions of Fantastic Four Masterworks, a digital version of like the entire Ant-Man Tales to Astonish run. And we get 50% every time you guys buy one of those. So Exactly. I wish. Okay. I wish. So it's my turn, which kind of is bad because I'm going to not remember this one. All right. Fantastic Four, number three, I am going to consult my notes, came out in December of 1961. Right, which, which, which means this is our last 1961 comic. Last 1961 comic. It's three months after the last Fantastic Four, right? September. Yeah, the, the dates are a little weird. One and two were less than two months apart, and two and three are almost three months apart. Okay, so they've been the kids have been waiting for some Fantastic Four. And, okay, here we go. Not looking, not looking. Starts off with our heroes at a magic show, and <laughs> here we go. I officially cannot remember this dude's name, so I'm going to just call Mr. him. Mr. Miracle. Gonna, oh. Okay. Oh, you're going to make a name for him? I'm so sorry. I That's fine. I was actually going to call him Mystery Man, but Mr. Miracle is his name. He's showing off how amazing he is and how powerful he is, and he sees in the audience the Fantastic Four, who are apparently so famous enough that all you have to do is see him by their face at this point, and you know who they are. They're like movie stars. Um, and he says, you guys think you're fantastic. I'm fantastic. And this, of course, makes the thing really upset because he's like the hothead of the group right now. Instead of Johnny Storm. And Thunder's up there. And the guy's like, look, cut this log or punch this log in half. And the thing, of course, does it. And Mystery Man, Mystery, why well, I already forget his name again. Mystery Man shows off that, yeah, you may have to punch it, but I could just slice it with one little finger. And he just slices it in half. And then he tells the thing, you can't even hurt me. And the thing punches him as hard as he can in the face. And it seemingly doesn't even hurt him. And so then... They all leave the show, and Reed Richards is like, wow, glad we don't have to fight that guy. <laughs> and then five minutes later, he decides they to be to evil. Yeah, they had to fight that guy. He turns out he is going to be evil. He's going to take over the world. He goes to some, I can't even remember what it is now, some sort of public event or something that's on TV, and he makes this big monster appear and attack everybody. The Fantastic Four see that, and they go in and try and stop it, and then the monster like disappears or something. And everybody's like, what the heck? What's going on? And Sue's like, well, while they're busy saying, what the heck, what's going on? I'm going to turn invisible and jump on Mystery Man's truck or something. And the guy drives away with her. And they're all like, oh, Sue, she like disappeared. Ah. So they go back to the hotel or where they're living, their apartment. Oh, it's like, actually, 
it's not an apartment. This is the issue. It's like their big Baxter building-ish kind of thing, even though it doesn't have the number four on it yet. And it shows like a map of all their awesome gadgets and stuff. And apparently they have the whole top floor and everybody else's tenants underneath them. Um, and they go back and go, gee, I hope so. Sue knows what she's doing. Because I guess she told the thing she was going to do this and he was like cool with that or something. And so back at Mystery Man's lair – he has a dog who sniffs out Invisible Woman, and then he hypnotizes her and tells her to summon them with their awesome flare gun. They all show up, and he shoots them with a Tommy gun or something, and which doesn't really do much because uh, Reed Richards can bounce around, and the thing is like bulletproof and stuff. So the dude gets in a train or something or a car and fl- drives away, and they all go after him, and eventually Johnny flies ahead and flashes so bright that it like blinds mystery man or Mysterio man or whatever his name is. And that's when they realize he doesn't have powers. He's just a hypnotist, which is kind of a power, but like he doesn't have the kind of powers he was talking about having. He's just pretending the whole time. They weren't really punching him. He wasn't really slicing those logs in half. I'm not even sure the monsters were real. Um, so they get him to free Sue and Reed is like, dang, Johnny, you're the real hero of this mission because you blinded him with your awesome flame. And the thing's like, what? You're giving that guy credit for actually doing stuff? Forget you. I hate that guy. And then Johnny's like, you know what? I'm sick of your attitude. You guys could be the Fantastic Three. And then he flies off and it's to be continued. The Thrantastic Three. The Thrantastic Three. (laughs) So other than not knowing the villain, I think I... I don't know. Maybe I missed something, but... Um, yeah, only that they get their costumes. Oh, yeah. Well, we could talk about that. Yeah, we talk about that. But let's talk about this cover, speaking of costumes. As much okay, as I hated so, number two, I love number three. Yes. You were talking earlier how, like, you know, trying to go under the, the mat about them being superheroes. Mm-hmm. And um, here, A... They have costumes. Yes. B, they're not fighting monsters. They look like superheroes. Yes. And C, he puts the greatest comic magazine in the world on the cover. Yes. I don't know how this got the okay. Well, it wouldn't in today's world, I don't think. Uh, Now you can't even say going out of business unless you can prove it, right? So I assume there's rules now, but back then, maybe there just weren't. Say whatever well, you want. Um, Superman was the best-selling comic in the world, and I believe it was running that at the top of its pages, at the top of its covers, for years and years and years. Um, so was it true? Fantastic Four is, yeah. Okay, of course it was true. Yeah, through through Superman. the 60s and 70s, Superman was a top-selling comic. Okay. Um, so Fantastic Four is putting its emblem on the cover here as pure Stan Lee hyperbole. Yep. Stan hyperba Lee. Um and we have the fantastic car for right. the first time. And we and have fantastic, fantastic costumes. four costumes and also learn the secret of fantastic four skyscraper hideout. I mean, it's really all fun. It so is super fun. fun. Um, but I will say in reading what I was talking about earlier about, uh, them wanting to stay under the radar, they're obviously not staying under the radar anymore, but they did give them all matching costumes because even mm-hmm. here they were like, yeah, we could always lie and tell them they're quote unquote uniforms, you know, like Invisible Girl isn't pink and Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic is blue. And, you know, they all have like, like soldier outfits on essentially mm-hmm. colorful soldier outfits. But so maybe that's why, or that is why the Fantastic Four aren't individuals in terms of 
their look. Yeah, because if you think about it, the idea of uniforms being uniform yeah. is not normally done in superhero comics. I mean, no. hey, harken back to Challengers of the Unknown, like we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Um, they all dress the same. Yep. At least in the issues that I have read, which I have only slightly more challenges of the unknown experience than you have, almost none. Yeah. But um, but my envision of them is them running around in purple jumpsuits. Yeah. So if you think Fantastic Four is competing with the only other team on the market, you know, the JLA, obviously the JLA all look different. Flash, mm-hmm. Green Lantern, Superman, all that. Fantastic Four are, are a cohesive unit, which ultimately, you know, works out for them, I think, visually. I like that they all kind of match, but I think – the motivation behind it was to, again, still not quite declare that they're superheroes, but they totally are. <laughs> so I love how um, they're just out, you know, yeah. having a night. And they get called out. Like, we're just trying to have a good time, and we're being personally attacked by your insults here in the theater. Yeah. And also, Johnny Storm looks like a doofus. So this this reminds me of one of our other shows that we used to do. The... Uh, Mighty Shield. We used to do a shows. Cap- a Captain a America podcast. Ago. Do you remember that old? I do uh, remember that one. That one that, that, that lasted was... like five issues, five episodes, but. It was fun. In, in the first episode, Captain America Comics number one, the second story, Omar and somebody, Omar and. Sando. Sando were also on stage doing impossible things. I don't know. It's pretty loose, but it kind of reminded me of the same setup, like Cap and Bucky are watching this guy who ends up being a villain. Who's also an entertainer. So as we're talking here, my family have just come in the door. And so you might hear them a little bit in the background because that's what podcasting sounds like, folks. Yay. Um, so where were we? Oh, I was making a loose reference to Captain America Comics number one because it had no yeah. actual influence on this. But it just reminded me of that setup. And I mean, that's that's a pretty memorable comic because they've reprinted it and retold it in the Silver Age and, and yeah. such. Um Okay, so Mr. Miracle turns out to be a giant hypnotist, um, which I was trying to pay attention to in the course of the story to see what actually is believable in that. And Nothing. I mean, I guess, yeah. Nothing. You know how far you want to stretch your disbelief, like nothing is believable as hypnotism versus <laughs> almost everything if it's well, comic book hypnotism. I mean, is he like a mutant? Because now we're talking maybe. Like if he could okay, just so hypnotize an entire comics, though, room without looking at it. Right. In the comics, hypnotism is just a thing that happens. It doesn't actually have to be done. It's just suddenly, I'm going to hypnotize you, and look, you're hypnotized. It just but happens. I, I didn't even mean that. Like, I just assumed at least eye contact is required, and he's in a, a stage full of people, and they're all seeing the same thing. And then later, they see him on TV, and they're seeing the monster on the television. So he's, like, hypnotizing the entire network of people who are watching the television, including the people that are there. Or was that a real monster? That wasn't a real monster. <laughs> I don't no. think of that. I don't think the monster actually comes to life. But, no. you know, I just realized yeah. it's only going to be a couple of episodes where we have another performer who hypnotizes crowds in order to do nefarious things. Because the ringmaster is going to show up in The Incredible Hulk number three. Okay. So, Mr. Miracle, I mean, they're going to basically put him in new clothes and use him again. So, by the way, Doctor Strange, big fan of Mr. Miracle? Or is it just me? <laughs> with the with the like the collar and such, like he just looks like Doctor Strange to me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these yeah. panels. Yeah, like especially uh, the ones I where can... he's kind of in the shadow and thinking about taking over the world. That just totally looks like Doctor Strange. It does. It does. Um, I'm actually just looking at Mister Miracle real quick because I don't even know 
I, I assume he comes back. I don't know. Does he come back looking for... Um, I hope it looks not. looks like there are no matches on the chronologyproject.com page. Um, Miracle... Oh, Miracle Man. Not Mr. Miracle. I'm stupid. It's Miracle Man. Miracle Man. Okay, so Miracle Man is in issue 138. A Fantastic Four? He comes back. A Fantastic Four. Like Hopefully, hopefully as like a, a homeless guy. Right? Yeah. And there's a two-in-one issue, and there's a three-part Defenders story. Wow. Um, there is a very small handful of repeat performances from this guy. Okay. Well, and you his know. His last documented appearance was in something that they're calling P8. What is, I had to go to the key to find out what P8 stands for. Um, come on, key page. Find P8. P8. I don't know. Well, they power, use, um, power kids? Power pack? Yeah, I don't know. Why isn't my find thing coming up? Find P8. Punisher. What? Oh, what? No. Punisher, the wow. 2009 series. He comes back no. for a couple issues of that. Maybe he dies. Yeah. Maybe he gets shot in the face. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would read that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, in addition to the whole he looks like Doctor Strange, on this one page where he looks a lot like Doctor Strange, page five is where we get introduced to the uh, Fantastic the Four's new headquarters. What's it called? Fantastic Four Skyscraper Hideout. Yeah. Yeah. Diagram of the Fantastic Four's secret headquarters, save for future reference. Uh, wow. We're going to find out later they've carved out all five of the top floors of this building, but it's much less um, elaborate in this opening diagram. It looks like we have, well, there may be five floors there. Um, there's a, a hangar floor and then mm-hmm. a living quarters floor. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's just that's just two stories. Don't you love these diagrams, though? Like, that's just something they oh, they're do fun. anymore. They're so fun. But my question is, is if you're in... Um, a skyscraper mm-hmm. and your headquarters is secret, mm-hmm. but you have a long range passenger missile launch pad just in the <laughs> corner of the building. Yeah. I get the hidden elevator with the secret, you know, beam. I get, you know, your conference room and everything, but your fantastic car comes in and out of the roof. You have a fantastic copter and you have a pogo orbit plane. Mm-hmm. Of course. A giant map room, missile monitoring room, missile ready room, launch pad. Oh, but you know what it is? There's an anti-vibration wall. Is that what, I bet oh. you he has this whole thing laced with vibranium. Uh, you'd think it'd still get really hot. I don't know. Yeah, it'd have to come out of somewhere. Right. Or maybe... But at least it's not going to like you know send noises down to the neighbors. Maybe his missiles aren't propelled by combustion like we know it or something. I don't know. Maybe it's unstable molecules, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, all their, their suits stretch and turn invisible and stuff. They haven't explained that yet either. I have no. I've decided not to. I care. think our first mention of unstable molecules actually comes in Ant Man before we get it in in, in oh, Fantastic yeah. Four, but I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll find out. Um, okay, so the celebrity of these guys in the in the show, he like calls them out. They're known to have powers. Mm-hmm. So by this point, maybe they've actually done a few public good works because in the comics. No one knows who they are. They went to Monster Isle and blew it up. No one saw that happen. Um, they encountered the army, but not in a public way, and they scared the Whoa. scrolls off. But the army knew where they were, which suggests to me they looked up like Reed Richards' residential areas or something and found that they had a cabin and went to it. Um, it didn't seem like they were very secretive about it. But somehow their headquarters is secret. 
But anyway, so Mr. Miracle knows what a Fantastic Four is. He's like, I'm cooler than you, Fantastic Four, so F you. Yeah. And um, that, that doesn't make thing happy, of course. No. But, like, how it's irresponsible like, is this whole punching him in the face thing? Like, you better hope that guy's legit because otherwise you just killed somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, your punches can't even hurt me. Can you imagine if he was just, like, an amateur, like a David Blaine or something, and it just went wrong, and the dude's head, like, exploded? Yeah. Yeah, Thing would be in jail for the rest of his life over because he was pissed off at a magician. It's like one of those, like, the Enterprise should be hauled away as garbage. Yes, except in that case, Scotty can't bench a building. So, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay if he punches a Klingon who's probably stronger than him. <laughs> it's not going to have like a Walking Dead Glenn moment where the eyeballs bulging out of his face. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, um, do you remember in Ultimate Fantastic Four how the Fantastic Car gets its name? No. So Reed Richards is, of course, a little nerdy shy boy in that series, right? Mm-hmm. And he names it the Fantastic Car and like doesn't want to admit it. They're like, "Does this ship have a name?" And, he, and he's like, "Well, I gave it a name, but you know, we don't really have to use it." And uh, Johnny's like, "No, no, what, what'd you name it, Reed? What'd you name it?" Um, I called it the Fantastic Car, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> and so the next one that they do, the next ship that they use, they call it the Awesome. Johnny Storm names that one. He calls it the U- the USS Awesome or whatever. Because that's better, right? Because <laughs> it's awesome, dude. <laughs> the rule of cool. <laughs> um. So speaking of superhero cars, they also get their costumes, like you said, and I forgot to say that. Um. But this whole panel or these three panels. Uh, Sue, like, hey, look, I made his costumes. And then in the second panel, she says, and for you, too, it's time we all had some colorful costumes. And then Thing says, that's for kids or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I found I found an original version of that panel that involved them also wearing masks. Um, so the second really? panel, the second panel is Sue Storm holding up a mask saying, and we can wear these masks. And Thing is like, masks, that's for kids. Um, and they changed it because they decided, well, how the heck can the thing wear a mask and what would be the point anyway? And Human Torch also. And again, we're being a little shy about them being superheroes. And so let's just let them be public people. Um, so, Which makes yeah. sense with the earlier version of the so, yeah. pages in the script. I'll post that. I found it online. I'll post it on the, on the show notes if anybody wants to check it out. It's virtually – I mean, it's almost identical except she's holding up a mask and it's different dialogue. I, I feel like I've seen that art. Yeah. You mentioned it. And I don't know of where it came from. It's a helmet. <laughs> and I, I actually think that maybe she's being considerate because like you said last episode, Thing is always hiding his face. Right. He's seriously self-conscious. And you'd think like those sunglasses would break all the time in a fight. So maybe the helmet won't. <laughs> right. Um, or just think, or just think like pulling them off his face. They break. But I've been reading. Um, I you probably have too. Reading the letter pages, and they they went bananas over the whole uh, the thing, thinking the costumes were kid stuff. Mm-hmm. They're like, finally, yes, I like these grown. Someone up, understands. I like these grown up superheroes, who, like who wouldn't wear stupid costumes and who don't get along and actually have real adult problems. Like that's pretty much the theme of the first few letter pages. So. I don't know. It seems like something we just take for granted now, but like, this is like big deal. This is like Superman saying, I'm not going to wear a stupid cape. Right. And maybe that's part of why they took Wonder Woman out of the costume in the seventies. Yeah. Maybe that's part of being feminism. They like, okay, well if costumes are stupid and silly, let's make Wonder Woman act like a grown woman. Especially hers. Right. 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 Um, I love what hypnotism works over TV cameras. Yes. And Sue's first thought Whenever the monster is running crazy, 
instead of let's all go be superheroes and fight him, she's like, let's call the police commissioner. We should notify the authorities so they can take care of this. I like that. And it might be the last time it ever happens. <laughs> yes, probably. She does seem to be the, uh, the rational one of this group. I mean, I guess Reed, Reed doesn't really get in a lot of fights, but he certainly doesn't seem to help the situation all that much either. No, no, he really doesn't. Um, I wonder whenever Reed takes on the monster and fails, and I'm starting to wonder if maybe that's when he starts to realize that he has his actual encounter with the monster, and maybe there's something in the way that goes down that makes him start thinking about what could actually be happening. Maybe that's when he starts to clue in that this might be hypnotism or might might be something unreal. I think it's funny he gets knocked out by a brick, though. Yeah. Like, how's that happen? Should he? I mean, he's rubber. Wouldn't it just bounce off him? I guess maybe he kept his head solid for no reason in that panel. I don't know. Speaking of Star Trek, hey, let's bring up Star Trek every episode. So there's that <laughs> there's that original like first season episode of Deep Space Nine and Odo's in a cavern and it starts collapsing and the rock hits him on the head and he gets knocked out. Same thing. How does a shapeshifter Shouldn't get happen. knocked out? Yeah. Anyway. Oh, so okay, okay. Also, Thing tears off his clothes in Whoa. one spot and then suddenly he's dressed again in another. Yeah, I did notice. Like that on page too. eleven, he tears off his shirt. And then in page 13, he has no shirt. But then suddenly page 14, he's dressed again. Now, granted, an hour does go by. It's funny how anti this outfit he is, considering up till now, he's always wearing a high-collar trench coat, a hat, and sunglasses. It's like Sue uh, essentially covered him head to toe in a more combat-ready outfit, and he can't stand it. He wants it to be naked. Yeah, he does. But uh, He just likes being naked. But he hates everybody looking at him at the same time. Maybe he just likes being contrary. I don't know. If anything in this is contrary, it's definitely going to be the thing. Um, So the helmet lasts like four panels. I don't think we ever see that helmet again. No, we do. If you want to do the time travel John Wilson thing, like buy Fantastic Four 300 or something, he gets horribly scarred by Wolverine. And so he starts wearing the helmet. Yeah, he gets slashed in the face. So he's even uglier than he already is. And he starts wearing the helmet as part of his costume. Okay. Okay. I don't know what issue. Um, I just made up the 300s, but somewhere in the 90s. But Sue, once again, kind of like the logical person. I don't know. Maybe it's not logical to jump in the back of the bad guy's truck, but it's just kind of like, well, you boys are screwing everything up. You know, they're all getting their butts handed to them. And she just goes, eh, I'm just going to go turn invisible and get in his truck. It's not a bad play. I mean, she is invisible. Yeah. She should be able to sneak around. She should be able to do something surveillance mm-hmm. And it, it's not a bad play. It's just that the dog sniffs her out, out out of nowhere, you know, canine ex machina. And really, um, her only power is to turn invisible. And I've said that before, alluding to the fact that we know eventually she gets more substantial powers in addition to being invisible. But um, defense and stealth are her two main mo- modes right now. That's it. So what else is the invisible person going to do if not <laughs> sneak around into the hideout? So. We get another recap of the origin, and afterward, Thing says something that hails back to the first issue. I don't want to be normal for a few minutes. I want to be Ben Grimm again. I want Sue to look at me the way she looks at you. Yep. So it's still there. The love triangle. It's still there. This little love thing going on. I wish I knew more about if how much that sticks around. Definitely, yeah. it's a part of Ultimate Fantastic Four. Um I don't know how much it's a thing in this uh, thing. I don't know how much it goes on or is remembered or at least recalled in regular Fantastic Four. I would say not much because, you know, of the Fantastic Four I've read, they all seem more like 
brother and sister mm-hmm. or she's the mom or something like that. So I don't think this lasts very long, but we'll find out. Also, the thing was dressed, tore off his clothes, was mm-hmm. dressed again, and then by page 18 is topless again for no reason. <laughs> uh, well, I do think he looks better without the shirt, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's just, it, it's... That's kind of the funny know. thing about these uniforms is they're all wearing the same outfit to be unified, but then the human torch and the thing don't really wear them. I mean, the torch does, but you don't see it when he's using his power. So. Right. When he's in the action, you know, he turns into fire. So really, Reed and Sue, and they're married. So it's like they're wearing the Fantastic Four outfit, and the other guys are also part of the team. Yeah. So let me get Johnny. Until you have the kids, you have like the four yeah. and a half on it, which with Franklin, I love that. Yeah. Speaking of kids, you get Johnny hanging out with the kids scene. Um, this is the most obnoxious friend. Yeah. Hey, Johnny, why can't we join the Fantastic Four? We're your pals, ain't we? Because uh, you'll die. Right. You have no superpowers. We are freaks of nature. Um, I don't know what else. I mean, see, here we go. Really, I have nothing else yeah. until the end. Well, um, in Fantastic Four number one, in that scene we make fun of in the beginning where they're all destroying New York to get together, uh, I remember the thing kind of actively avoiding machine gun fire by punching the street and going into the sewer and all this stuff. And this issue, he takes it. Um, but it looks like it hurts him. He says, ugh, and oof, and then falls over. So that's interesting. Maybe he didn't realize he could take it. Or he's just not as powerful as he'll eventually No, he, ju- he jumps in front of it. He's like, Reed can't dodge yeah. those dum-dums forever. I got to do something. He jumps into the way of the bullets. Yeah. At last, he's out of ammo. I don't know. So, yeah. All these Marvel characters get stronger and stronger as they, you know, never age. But Yeah. Uh, Reed turns into um, a rubber tire, so that's humiliating. Uh, but kind of fun looking. But kind of fun looking. And then, yeah, and I don't know. That's it. Johnny does kind of do the last save the day. I mean, he does not save the day on his own. He is not the only one winning the day here. But no. he does put a final pause in Miracle Man's path long enough for them to unhypnotize Sue. And Reed's like, it's all hypnotism. Right. But the, the thing with the thing pissing off the torch and making him fly away is that Johnny's not mad at the group before this point, and what Thing says is nothing worse than the jabbing they were giving each other earlier in the issue. So this is really a big example of um, the Torch being like a dish it out but can't take it kind of guy. Yeah, because I kind of skipped over it in my summary, my amazing summary of Total Recall, but like they fight a few more times in this issue. Um, about what I can't even remember. Oh, you know, Sue being in danger and how come you let her just, you know, jump into the guy's car or truck or whatever. So this is just kind of like the last straw, I guess, where it's just uh, one fight too many. Um, and Reed didn't even say, like, Johnny single-handedly defeated you. He said, thanks to the torch's blinding flash, your hypnosis no longer works, which is true. Right. And then Ben, with his weird no-eyes face, is just like, you're giving that blaming juvenile delinquent the credit for this whole caper which he did not say and the the thing has reason to not like johnny remember whenever earlier he was saying i want sue to look at you the way he looks at me yeah johnny immediately lashes at him is like the idea of sue being in love with you is so laughable that's really stabbing thing in the heart that's true it's also something a brother would say it is um but of course he flies off and what do we do if he turns against humanity? So, I think he's getting Johnny confused with the thing there. Yeah. I was like, 
what is the Fantastic Four, a cult now? You can't leave us? <laughs> you, your powers are too great. You must stay in the same apartment. Could be. So, Could yeah. be. So the villain was horrible. It's fun to see the Fantastic Car and the costumes and the new building. And, you know, now they seem like an official group. Um, of course, now they're down to three already. But otherwise, this issue was okay. I didn't like Mystery Man or whatever his name is because I don't even like him. So I can't remember his name. The Miracle Man. Well, we won't have to deal with him again, possibly uh, ever. Until Frank Castle shoots him in the face, maybe. Right. If that's even the same guy. So. If we uh, if we make it to Fantastic Four issue 158, we'll be like, oh, this bitch again. <laughs> and then we can deal with it. Right. Um, I hope we remember <laughs> to say it exactly like that. <laughs> That'll be the title of the episode. Oh. Episode 500. Oh, this bitch again. <laughs> Um, uh, so ready for the Fantastic Four Four, the Four yes. Four 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 issue? A much better it's, issue. It's, it's yes. Wendy's Four Four Four. Would you like you to make a cheeseburger or a chicken sandwich? <laughs> yeah. Um, Your okay, turn again. It's my job to blind synopsize this. Yeah. How come I get all the dumb ones? This was a bad time. I don't know because this is a cool issue. Yeah. Now you did the scrolls. Yeah, that's okay. Anyway, all right. Okay. Not as good um, as this. I am going to have to think about this one. I don't have all the plot beats of this one down in my head as I used to all right. have. All right. You, so you just read this one last. The, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, the team is looking for the torch. They can't find the torch. The torch is hiding out in the um, with his friends. And the and they're like, oh, I remember marking down. They're like, oh, the whole city is looking for the torch. And we got him right here. The whole city is not looking for the torch. It's just the Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> thing goes to the garage and tears it open and scares Johnny off again. And he turns into a human being for another second there. And Johnny's like, stupid guy. He's in, he knows he's going to turn back into the thing. Um, Johnny keeps on flying. They keep on looking for him. Johnny goes to the Bowery and runs into this mysterious amnesiac strong dude with much hair and beard. And Johnny, you know how... Getting your hair caught in open flame is really, really dangerous. <laughs> Unless you have control. Like when, you're, when you're doing science, like in a chemistry lab, they always like, pull your hair back. Because that stuff will burn all the way off lickety fast. Yes. And so so Johnny just burns this guy's face off. Yes. Well, his fur. He burns, he burns off his beard, burns off his hair, gives him a crew cut. Oh, look, he has pointed ears. Oh, look. He's the Submariner. Mm -hmm. He doesn't remember who he is. Well, the Submariner likes water. I'll go throw him in the water. So he throws him in the water. Submariner wakes up. He's like, ha, 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 I am the Submariner. Where are my Atlantean peoples? He goes to find him. Oh, my gosh. They're all dead. This surface world is evil. I will conquer. After 10,000 years, I'm free. It's time to conquer Earth. (laughs) It's literally what the Submariner says. Yes. Um, And he... uh, Johnny Storm is freaked out by this, so he shoots a flare into the air, and the Fantastic Four are like, oh, Johnny's shooting the flare into the air. So they get there, and the thing's like, why are you shooting the flare into the air? It's only for emergencies. We've only been looking for you for 25 pages. And uh, Johnny's like, shut up. I never want to see all again anyway, but there's a big deal going on right now. Um, So Namor goes to the ocean, finds a horn buried in the ocean. We find out in some other comic and some other part of Marvel history, it's called the Horde of Proteus. I know because I looked it up 
And he uses it to awaken this giant, like, giant whale with limbs. It's called a giganta, which is actually the name of a species, um, not just this one guy. Um, giganto goes and invades Manhattan. Um, the Fantastic Four try to stop it. They're not super successful um, until Ben Grimm goes into its mouth with a bomb, a nuclear bomb. We're just going to ignore that in the yeah. script. <laughs> Uh, because <laughs> nuclear does not mean more powerful bomb. Because New York still exists, yes. Right. I think I think Stan just thought nuclear meant more powerful. Yeah. So um, Ben drops the bomb inside the monster's gullet, runs out. The monster gets killed by the explosion, and um, Namor's still going to conquer the Earth, falls in love with Susan Storm, asks her to marry him. She's like, if it'll stop you from killing the world, I guess... And Reed's like, no, you can't do that. I'm jealous. And so Johnny Storm then creates a big vortex, very much like Thor does with his hammer, but somehow he does it with fire and sends Namor and the corpse of Giganto back into the ocean. Did Um, you just make up Giganto or is that really what he was called? (laughs) It's really what he's called. Oh, my God. How did I miss that? (laughs) Giganto? Okay. Anyway. So, yeah. I think that was it. Good job. That's how I remember right, it, anyway. Thanks. I'm just flipping through it now to see what I forgot. No, it looks like I got all the main parts. So, another classic cover. I mean, this one's pretty dang famous. This is a good cover. I like uh, this cover. Submariner rushing into the ocean with Sue Storm in his arms and everybody else running behind him going, Hey, give us back our invisible woman. Um, and this is an important issue. I mean, out of the four so far, three is the only one that can be discarded as stupid. Uh, but the, the cover of three is good because it has their costumes. It has fantastic art. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have f- four iconic covers, even though the, the style of number two is not actually a very good design. I think it still is part of like the major early covers. Yeah. This um, one's good, though. So it's funny. What like, do you like about the design on this? Oh, on the cover? Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. I guess it's just because I've seen it so much and they've used it so many times. It's just some things just become classic based on their, I guess, the fact that they've existed for so long in the mythos or mythos or however you say that word. Uh, um, it's great to see the Submariner. I think he looks particularly interesting considering we've had no or we've had the scroll and a monster as our villains on the cover. That's what makes number three stand out so much, too. There's no villainy on that. That's just a straight up superhero pinup. Mm-hmm. And then this one, we get our first like legit kind of like superhero. This is villain. the first supervillain on the cover. Yeah, this guy is not going to be in uh, you know Journey into Mystery, or at least no. as as it was in nineteen sixty sixty two. Well, this is hey, uh, the beginning of two now. This is our first nineteen sixty two Marvel episode. Ha ha ha! Two months after, so we're on schedule again. Yep, I think the thing on the cover kind of looks like he's. They look like big. Strong hands, <laughs> don't they? The thing is very uh, diminutive on that cover, it seems like. Yeah, he's not really doing much. And I don't know if they want him to be short, because, you know, the stereotypical thing that I think of when I think of the thing is a very tall, big individual, but he doesn't seem like to be towering yet in his design. I don't really think of him as tall. I think of him as broad. But not necessarily that tall. Maybe he's tall. Well, I mean, like, he stands next to Sue, and they're, like, the same height, seems like. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. We'll have to look up he one might of have those, a couple inches on her. those nerdy websites and see how tall he's supposed to be. Uh, so the Submariner, as we said last episode, um, the Submariner is one of Marvel's 
staple of characters from the 40s. They revived the Human Torch with this team, and they're reviving the Submariner with this comic. Now, the Submariner led his own comic for years and years in the 40s. Um, he was his own man, not a supporting character. Whereas here, it's going to be a while before the Submariner has his own comic. And a lot of, he kind of has this sort of little saga that just like goes on in the background of Fantastic Four for several years. So you've read a lot of, uh, or a lot more Golden Age than I have. Have you read a lot of uh, Submariner World War II tales? Or pre-World War II tales, I should say. So as far as Marvel goes, I've only read a little bit. I've read a lot of Captain America. Yeah, me but too. But not a lot of other stuff. Like, I've read a couple Human Torch stories, a couple Submariner stories, maybe like a dozen of the Marvel Mystery Comics issues, and that's about it. So my understanding is that he started out as a not-so-great guy, and then by World War II, they turned him into like a full-blown all-winner squad superhero, right? Something like that. Ish. Or, but I'm, he, does, but I, he is kind of an anti-hero. He goes back and forth. So I, I wasn't sure how bad he was when he first came out. Was he like legit just a bad guy or was he – I mean, what was his uh, – Oh, when he first comes out, he is he's basically the same character just with a lot more like young arrogance, uh, cockiness to him. Here he's definitely arrogant, but it's more like an, uh, a full-grown man's arrogance instead of like a 20-year-old's arrogance. Um, but yeah, early Marvel Mystery Comics, Submariner is definitely not a hero. Okay. He's a hero for non-humans. He's a hero for the other side. Well, just like here, essentially. He's doing yeah. this for his people. Okay. So I wasn't sure if he'd tried. I guess he, I, I knew that because there's the whole big like Human Torch and Submariner crossover where they're fighting over New York City. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess he was trying to destroy it even back then. So um, I think the whole like uh, Johnny quits the team and goes missing thing seems to wrap up really easy. Um and I th- would think, like, if this was a modern story, this would be a whole, like, six-part thing of trying to get Johnny to come back. And, you know, it'd be a trade paperback called The Human Torch Quits or something like that. Where instead it's just like, oh, he found some Mariner, so let's get the team back together. And I guess we're all good now. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it happens easy because the thing finds him. Well, yeah. But then he still doesn't want to come back. God. Uh, he, well, he, he continues to run. The thing – it's funny. They all have their own motivation. Like Reed wants the Human Torch back because he could be a danger to the world if he doesn't hang out in their apartment together to be supervised. Sue wants him back because that's her little brother and she's worried about him. And Ben wants to find him to punch him in the face. (laughs) And, of course, Ben finds him. And gets to punch him in the face. And tries to punch him in the face. And the thing that's really kind of scary is like, you know – I made fun of him for punching Mystery Man or the Magician Man or whatever in the face full blown and not knowing whether he would survive that. But here's like the thing, knowing the torch can't flame on because he's near, he's in a garage, a car garage working on his awesome hot rods and there's like gas or something. So Mm -hmm, if he flames mm -hmm. on, he'll blow everybody up. And here's the thing, like throwing cars at him. Right. And telling him. You can't flame on, haha, ha, there's too much gas here, so now I'm going to crush you or whatever. And it's like, that's a legit threat. Like, the thing can kill you, you know? So, he, yeah. So the fact that the Johnny's like, yeah, oh, I agree. he's turning human, I'm out of here. Like, that's not even a Johnny being a jerk. That's Johnny just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Why would he come back after that? 
So Johnny has more reason not to join the team. So later, whenever he says, I would only have fired, I never want to see any of you again. Yeah. He's telling the thing, you're a jerk. I really never wanted to see you again. Right. And then um, you see on the bottom here, it says, what is the Hulk? Yeah, I was going to come back to that later. Can we save that? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Um, now, Ben has a change here back to human. Yep. And it seems to come out of nowhere. Yep. But I was wondering if maybe it was like leftover um, effects from the hitting the cosmic rays again in issue two. Because we didn't talk about it last episode, but, the reason, but he changes back to the human again in issue two. Because oh. when they go up to space and see the scrolls, they hit the cosmic ray belt again. That's right. Does Some he, of this is like a, a reticent, recurring reaction of regeneration reversal due to cosmic rays. Did he do that in three also or no? I don't think so. Not in three. No. So, yeah. Could be. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering how many more times they do this because, like I said, like it's just kind of funny. Like, they keep <laughs> giving him hope, taking it away. And it just seems random. So, I don't know. Yeah, it could be. But how come the, the other three didn't don't lose their powers? Yeah. Or, or maybe they weird, do right? and you can't tell. Because they're not using them. Like, if I was Human Torch not flamed on, how would I know my power is gone? You like, know? while he's sitting there reading some Mariner comics, he actually yeah. can't flame on. He just doesn't know it. Right. So, Interesting. I don't know. Like, the thing is always on, so it's easier to tell, maybe. I don't know. Um, the Torch is reading some Mariner comics. He says, I remember Sis talking about him. He used to be the world's most unusual character. And yeah. I'm like, did Sis ever talk about how the Submariner would pal around with another Human Torch? Like, did he it's- talk about, did she talk about that? Or is Sis, like, 40 years older than you? Like, wouldn't that sentence have made more sense if it? I remember Dad talking about this? Or Mom? Yes. Like, Sis is like... Is this a generation gap right now? This is 20 years apart. Yeah. So that seems odd. Unless she just really liked retro stuff, maybe. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, I always find it interesting that there's, in the Marvel Universe, there's comics about Marvel heroes. And I've always wondered, like, how they read different from... The comics we get to read. Someday. I was always amused whenever someone in Action Comics would be reading Action Comics when I was doing my Golden Age Superman podcast. Somebody should do like a uh, a uh, this is what this is a Captain America comic within the Marvel Universe. Like, how do they solve the problem of like not knowing who he is? Well, I guess they know who he is. That's a bad example, but you know, like if there's Batman comics within the Batman universe and nobody knows who Bruce Wayne is, then uh, what do they do? They just make adventures of Batman and not reveal who he is, or do they make up their own thing? I like to think that in a in a DC universe where Batman is a brooding, you know, dark vengeance of the night character, the Batman comics are where he's fighting like aliens from Mars. Yeah, that could be it. That and works. Like, try to get married to Batwoman and and leave Robin behind forever. And this may not even be a comic. This could just be like a legit, uh, you know, '40s periodical on Submariner or something. I don't know. Oh, you're right. He does say beat up comic mag, but if not for oh, he that, does? he could just be reading oh. a magazine about Submariner, like a doc. Yeah, he does say that. Okay. But I well, like that mind. idea that he's reading like Newsweek. So do you think that they brought this in because they thought he looked a lot like the homeless guy? Or do you think this is just a amazing coincidence that this comic is sitting right next to the actual Submariner? <laughs> It's another situation where Johnny Storm is like, I hope the plot is really convenient for me at this point. Oh, look, the plot is convenient. I This guy looks like Submariner that I was just reading about. Right. That's what I'm wondering. Like, But then they were saying like, I think the one of the bums is saying something like, hey, you know who that guy reminds me of? You're reading about Submariner. We got some of them right here who's supposed to be as strong as that Joker. So I'm wondering if someone just like grabbed that book because 
they too were into some mariner. I don't know. Anyway, I thought about that too much. Uh, I love that they. It's a cool think retcon this- that like somebody else in the thing just like has the magazine because this guy reminds me of Submariner, like this Submariner comic I have. Hey, look at this guy's. Like, yeah, yeah, he does. Or they went out and bought it after they decided that, or you know, just to check it out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, "Go Away, You Puny Flea." That made me so happy. I don't know why. Just because it's like <laughs> that's Namer for you. I'm happy that Namer is in our universe already, as we do this. Um, but yeah, they're like and deciding. Mind, Namor always has like a, a slight accent to his speech. Yeah, I and thought about so that too. Whenever he's "Go away, you puny flea," is more like "Go away, you puny flea." Has yeah, a, you know, well, a little he, stilted voice he is to he is Atlantean, right? So you'd think he wouldn't talk like he's from Jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, we don't get to hear dial or you know accents and stuff in these dialogue balloons. But I did think about that, like you know, these guys don't know who he is, and they, he's unusually strong. And it's like, does he have a heavy Atlantean accent? Do they go like, "Where are you from, France?" You know, like, but they didn't. So whatever. It is a really cool reveal, though. If we didn't have it telegraphed on the cover. You know, this this mm-hmm. page 10, you know, shave off the face and the fur, and he suddenly looks like the Submariner. That's possibly the coolest reveal in Marvel Comics so far. Yes. But you're right. It's like Johnny's very good at controlling that flame sometime, I feel like. Like, too good. <laughs> too good. You know? <laughs> too good. But he did keep a five o'clock shadow, Johnny so. Johnny basically creates one of, yeah, it left, left the shadow. Yeah. He basically creates one of mankind's greatest threats. Like, he didn't mean to. No. And I like the idea of giving this guy agency, even if it turns out to be a dick. But Johnny Storm created the Submariner. Well, but the thing is, like, if his sister told him about the Submariner, and the world knows about the Submariner clearly, then the last their last memory is that he was helping them beat the Nazis. So he's a hero. Or hero-ish. He fought alongside Captain America, or multiple Captain Americas. Not that they know that, but... uh Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to believe that just because you toss him in the water to help him get his memory back that he's going to come out evil. This is true. This is true. But anyway. Do you think that Ben told the others he found Johnny and scared him off again? Nope. <laughs> sure don't. I wouldn't either. <laughs> What's he going to say? I almost killed your brother by throwing a car at him? Sorry. I like this, like, all these little bits of them searching around, you know. It's kind of cool. Like, that's the thing that's kind of neat about Marvel. I don't know if they actually said the words New York yet. I haven't Mm -hmm. been paying attention to that. But that is one thing. Like, DC, every character kind of has their own city and all that stuff. But Marvel, everybody kind of lit. Like, New York is the superhero capital of the world. And, uh, you know, they just kind of have that that vibe. Like, like the Fantastic Four could be – part of this community and like here's reed richards poking his head at subway trolleys looking for the thing and invisible woman like is that a is that a malt shop like sucking down a sunday invisible and making people go what the heck you know it's all just kind of like good fun um but it gives you like a connectivity to our real world that maybe like metropolis or gotham city can't do i like that too it feels like you know in recent spider-man universe whenever the scarlet spider goes down to houston texas like Yes. I'm from Texas. I live near Houston. That's really cool that he's down bumming around in my area of the country. Yes. West Coast Avengers. I was born, raised California. That's some good stuff right there. Or, uh, you know, even cheesy things like the the, (sighs) Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. You know, you mess with one. You mess with Spider-Man. You mess with New York. You know, that kind of stuff. That's Mm -hmm. just cool. And it doesn't work as good as, like, even, say, The Dark Knight, Gotham City, you know, 
nobody kills each other because Gotham City is full of people with gold hearts or whatever. It's like that doesn't work. That doesn't play as good because it's not real. And New York is real. But Chicago is real. That started this. I don't think they've actually said New York yet. And I think the second issue. I didn't notice this on this read there, but I think from previous read throughs I remember noting that it says other things like Midtown or something like that. Yeah. I could be wrong though. Yeah. Um, so then we get to Giganto. <laughs> I can't believe and that's yes, his name. On page fifteen, the deadly Giganto. I can't. Only one thing can arouse wow. him: this trumpet horn, which my ancestors buried here centuries ago. Giganto. I can't believe that. Also. The giant green reptilian monster on the cover of Fantastic Four One mm-hmm. is also called Giganto, but that's Giganto from the Deviant Mutates, and this is Giganto, the whale life forms from the they're an Atlantean uh, water species. So different gig- that's specific character named Giganto in issue one, and this is a species of Gigantos in issue four. This Giganto is like a super sad sack, in my opinion, like. First of all, he literally looks like a whale with legs, a tail, mm-hmm. like a serpent tail, and then arms that are in a spot that couldn't possibly be useful. Like they're coming out of the top <laughs> of his back. You know? Like you couldn't even walk with those. You know, they what do they do? That's worse than a T Rex, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're coming um, out of like like way far back there. They're they're not manipulative. And he was just sleeping, minding his own business, and he's sad, and then like the Human or the Submariner makes him wake up and kill everybody, and you know he didn't really ask for that. That's all Gigantos do. They all just like sleep in the bottom of the ocean until the horn wakes them up. I know that's their existence. But you'd think, like, I was just thinking, like, if this was Aquaman, would he want this rare Giganto beast to sacrifice himself for his cause, or does he care about his fish friends? You know, like Submariner doesn't seem to care. About the sea life all that much. I mean, he granted, he doesn't talk to fish or anything. He's an Atlantean. Maybe they don't care. But, like, this just seems like like he's just sending this thing off to die. Yeah. And they do explicitly call this New York. I didn't realize that. Page oh. 16, if, if it didn't happen earlier, it happens here. Awesome. Evacuate New York. All right. So the Bowery go. that Johnny Storm went to was the Bowery of Manhattan Island. Okay. So we could go there someday. In our 10th anniversary of this show, we'll do a tour of fantastic fours new york <laughs> we should do that um i love that submariner calls them clods where um, oh yeah it, it might actually be a bit later now i might have gone a bit too far but at some point he calls them clods and i don't know if you ever watched steven universe Mm-mm. you ever watched that no that is a great show. If, uh, I don't know how old your boy is at this point, but the Steven Universe is a great show. Um, but there's this one female character who's always calling humans clods. Okay. And it just sounds so ridiculous and fun. Um, but yeah, so Submariner is basically Peridot from Steven Universe. Awesome. So do you think nuclear bombs look like this? I think nuclear bombs look like little pods. Yeah. That like can explode into mushroom clouds. This is like an acme for those who don't, who, those who don't have the issue, it's this huge acme bomb uh-huh. um, with these big fishy tails on them, and they're just strapped to the thing's back, which makes him look very strong. It's kind of cool, actually. It's kind of a cool visual, him just like walking through a destroyed New York with his bomb on his back, and then like Giganto decides to take a nap, I guess, because you know it's hard work moving all that. Um, and then he it's just, a good thing that Giganto opens his yaps so incredibly <laughs> wide to breathe yeah. through his mouth. And then the thing goes inside and, like, of course, there's, like, 
vermin that live in there because Giganto's so big that he's a host to like other creatures, I guess, that live inside him. And they have to attack the thing and he has to fight them. And then he manages to get out and luckily the mouth closes just in time for the nuclear bomb to kill Giganto and nothing else. Right. And he actually gets caught in the blast. It, it yes. shows it throws him out of the but not bad enough to hurt him permanently. Now this is though where the thing did do a self-sacrifice. I mean, he claims that he's not. He says he knows what he's doing and he's not a suicidal. But you mm-hmm. don't know. He could have died here. He has a bomb strapped to his died. back. This is highly he dangerous. He had a plan, but it could have gone bad. Sure. You know. And he sacrifices himself. So already maybe maybe Stan has thrown out the whole idea that, you know, he's a jerk villain amongst the group or whatever. And also this is kind of – they don't say it explicitly, but Johnny says, I hate to say it, but I'm proud of you. So maybe that's what brings Johnny back. Um you know they fight like brothers, but then every once in a while they got to give each other props. Thing doesn't thing doesn't take it. He, he oh, doesn't take the compliment. It's like well, big deal. That and a cup of coffee, or that and a dime will get me a cup of coffee. Well, that's because he's I, sensitive. I like at this point it feels brusque but friendly, right? Or at least moving toward that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Submariner decides that the invisible girl is hot, which. I tend to agree with. Um, she thinks that he's hot because she agrees to marry him, even though she pretends mm-hmm. she doesn't want to. We all know she does because he's got some abs and he's got a swimmer's body. Uh, yeah. I like to think that Susan definitely is tempted and attracted yes. by Namor. She chooses Reed, but it is a choice that she has to make. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't really say he's hot here. I'm just inferring that because I know – Later on down, there's going to be some chemistry between these two sometimes. Right. But, uh, um, and I think that Namor realizes their chemistry, realizes that she is attracted to him. So he always later entertains the possibility mm-hmm. when he shouldn't. Plus, he probably just likes trying to steal her from Reed for some reason. Part of his jerky nature. Yeah. And then the Human Torch does the impossible, um, which I always think is something you should be more careful about when you're writing comics, because once they can do it once, then you should be able to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And he like spins so fast that he creates this vortex that picks up Giganto, whose name is Giganto, um, and plunges him back into the water. So it's like, wow, apparently he is very fast. And it was nice of Torch to clean up that dead Giganto, because he'd probably start to stink before they could get him properly butchered for public consumption. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, he did really uh, destroy a lot of New York, though. And somehow I doubt they'll follow up on that in any way. But yeah, kind of a nice little tidy cleanup. Just throw him back in the water. And then, oh, I totally skipped a part I loved. Yeah. Because once again, Invisible Woman, you know, she can't do the battles, right? Not yet. She's got nothing but stealth. And here's this panel on page 20 of the Submariner. You haven't beaten me yet. As long as I have this horn, I could summon countless other sea monsters to attack you. And then the next panel, it's, oh, so it's the horn, huh? And just takes it out of his hand. She's like, yoink. Yeah. And she runs off. It kind of reminded me of Black Widow in the Avengers movie, huh? It's like, oh, so the Hulk. That's your play. Okay. See you later. I thought of the same thing when you said that. That's that's funny. Good old Sue. Yeah. 
I don't know. I thought so I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed this episode, John, but I also enjoyed this issue. Yeah, this is probably the top one for me so far. I think yep. this beats out the scrolls. Oh, I don't think the um, scrolls were as It's a pretty fun story. Yeah. Very fun. The I scroll like the story was silly, but I didn't dislike them. It was just silly, so it's not like I it wasn't an epic core essential thing for me, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. This one's definitely the most fantastic fourry of uh, the four we've read, which is good because it's number four of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> it feels like the comic has starting to come into its own. Yes. Like this issue feels like the Fantastic Four. Yes. Now, did you want to comment on the Hulk thing before we wrap up? Or Yeah. Um, I love this. Throughout the comic, there are these little little captions above or below the panels mm-hmm. that are talking about this thing called the Hulk. Yes. That's so weird. I've never seen that before or since. Um, I could be wrong. We'll find out, I guess. But Yeah, I don't I don't remember anything like this happening. It's happening. not like an ad. It's not an ad where it's like the Hulk is coming or, you know, tune into the Hulk on February of whatever. This is just like little sentences. Who's the Hulk? What's the Hulk You've all about? You've never seen anyone like the Hulk. Yeah, the Hulk's crazy awesome, you know? And it's just like, wow, you almost miss it. And it turns out in the off month between this issue and the next issue, they're going to have a new comic, The Incredible Hulk number one. Which makes perfect sense, because if they came out with something else, that would just have defeated the whole purpose. Right, right. It would have defeated the whole purpose. So that's probably where we're going to start, you know, next episode, not to spoil the future or anything. Since we're starting to hit the hour mark on this one, maybe a little bit past it at this point. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, any other thoughts on four before we wrap it up? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, so next episode we'll come back with uh, Hulk number one and Fantastic Four number five and whatever else we can squeeze into an hour. And um, in the meantime, you can send emails to podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. And you can find out anything else you want to know about the show mm-hmm. at makeoursmarvel.com. We'll do some, maybe some images or some other cool stuff from these issues. Maybe some examples of these Hulk banners that we're talking about. Um, Yeah, there you go. And yeah, I guess that wraps us up. So um, until, you know, the Submariner decides to take over the world by, I don't know, forming a movie studio company. Make ours marvel. marvel.